0: Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing Frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host Chris McNeil, and this is Episode 58, Beneath the Tip of the Sales Iceberg with Carl Becker. What this episode will do for you is empower your sales approach by gaining insights from Carl's personal journey and how overcoming feelings of disconnection and learning differences shaped his unique, successful approach to sales and team building. Learn iceberg selling by discovering the concept of delving beneath the surface in sales, understanding the 90% that isn't immediately visible, to forge better connections and solutions. Using curiosity as a sales tool to uncover deeper customer needs and motivations moving beyond surface level transactions. To better master relationship selling by learning how to transition from a transaction to a relational mindset in sales, focusing on the lifetime value of customer relationships. And to delve into co-creation for success by exploring the technique of co-creating solutions with customers to enhance buy-in and ownership, leading to more organic and successful sales outcomes. But before we dive more deeply into this episode, in case you're new here, consider that I created the Thought Leadership Studio podcast to help listeners improve their thought leadership skills. So whether or not you consider yourself a thought leader at this point, consider that I've come to the conclusion that the practice of strategic thought leadership is now fundamental to effective marketing and helpful in any area of positive influence. It's about leading an audience to embrace a unique perspective that gives them more value. So this podcast is designed to provide an accelerated training process. So I suggest to listener that it's worthwhile to listen repeated times, whether this is an episode with an interview with a model of excellence or a deep dive into a particular aspect of strategic thought leadership. In any case, make sure you also go to the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. It is linked to in the episode description if you're listening on an app where we'll have links to other resources, including the free Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership. A free download to help you with the building blocks of your own strategic thought leadership. So in this episode, I'm excited to introduce Carl Becker. And we talk about his upcoming book, Iceberg Selling, in which he shares his personal journey and pivotal moments that led him to his unique perspective on sales and marketing. Carl emphasizes the importance of understanding and connecting with others as well as the need to relax into the sales process and focus on long-term value and being of service. He also discusses this concept of iceberg selling which highlights the idea that everything is an iceberg with only 10% visible and 90% hidden below. He encourages listeners to approach conversations and relationships with curiosity, explore what lies beneath the surface, and he shares insights on aligning key performance indicators with company values, as well as offering advice for aspiring authors and consultants. So, without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. Thought Leadership Studio. So I'm your host of Thought Leadership Studio, Chris McNeil, and I'm sitting here across Zoom with author and speaker Carl Becker who has founded and run numerous companies over the last 30 years, and now runs Improving Sales Performance. And it's a sales consultancy that builds high-performing, happy teams, and Carl's an author of multiple books on sales, and we're going to be talking about one of those that's coming up in the near future today called Iceberg Selling. Welcome, Carl.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I love the impact that you provide with this podcast and really appreciate you letting me be here to share some thoughts.
0: Appreciate you too. And sure this is going to be really interesting to the listener. You've got a lot to share from our conversation before starting recording. Um, but we like to talk about pivotal moments sometimes. And was there a, a particular event or shift in life to set you on the path that you're on now and, and empowering people with with your unique perspective on sales and marketing?
1: yeah um probably two big ones that jump out and i'll be a little concise the first is i I get back to when i was a kid Uh, for for whatever reason i just never really felt like i was a fit when i was in school um i had friends but it just i never felt like i would really connected and learning was really hard for me and much later as an adult i learned that i have stealth dyslexia but i think the pivotal moment early on was I had to learn about the world, not just from traditional ways, but from like doing, experiencing, listening, hearing. And a big part of not feeling connected was how do I learn to connect? How do I learn to kind of find commonalities with other people? And since I was a little kid, that was kind of my survival mechanism. I had to kind of learn how to navigate in the world, uh, learning in a different way and connecting with people so that I had a sense of belonging. And that has served me so well as I've become older and older and older. And been in the sales profession, both running my own businesses and coaching because so much of being a leader, a consultant, somebody that's uh, helping solve people's problems, which I think is what you do in sales, is about understanding and about connection. So that was like a big pivotal moment for me. The second one, um, I was that entrepreneur that would stay up late, work every weekend, and you would hear me say this. And I have this, it's burning my brain. I'm in this peer group session at the whiteboard. I'm like, no one else can solve my problem no one else can do this. And they all looked at me and some of them started to laugh because I think many of them had had to have this aha moment like, Carl, you finally had the breakthrough moment where you know, you're know you sick and tired of being sick and tired and you need to realize you, you need to relax to strategy and team. You need to kind of relax into letting other people be their best, bringing themselves forward. And those, those kind of combinations, I think, have allowed me to be somebody that now really focuses on team and people and bringing out the best in people. Um, again, because of these experiences that I had.
0: That's awesome. So I'm picking up on a couple of things here. And I, I, I can relate to having a non-traditional learning style. I never okay. fit in the classroom of 30 people um, with one person writing things to remember on a board. But Me I too. love to learn. I just have a different Me way too. of learning. Yeah. and And this whole relaxing into... Things. And, and that's a point that was hammered into me by a guy who studied, a sports psychologist who worked with Olympic shooters and they used biofeedback and found they're much more accurate when they could relax into the shot and maintain that as they squeeze the trigger.
1: Right? Uh, so so kind of counterintuitive.
0: So it's kind of a theme. Yeah, it's counterintuitive, but it's kind of a theme, isn't it? And, and I'm fascinated by the work you do as a sales trainer, consultant, coach. Um, because to me, uh, sales is all about empowering people and it's empowering them to maybe do more than they could have before the interaction, by pointing out things that maybe they didn't notice that we could take advantage of to enrich their lives. So what are kind of the key unique components of your vision of sales that you think would be relevant to our audience of people who are interested in influence in general?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking that. So the first thing I would tell you is um, in this book, Iceberg Selling, the whole concept is everybody, everything, every challenge is an iceberg. And I, I, the reason I, I, I did that is it's so easy to remember, right? I can tell you in 10 seconds, 10% is above the surface and that's what we see day to day and 90% is below. So if we're trying to understand somebody or in sales, solve somebody, or as a leader or a change agent, get, get movement forward, If we're only focusing on that 10%, we're missing so much that we could be misaligned, misinformed. Even if we have the best intent of what we wanted to do to move something forward, we're risking that we're missing a big part of that. So I really believe just the first is this, this, this realization that everything is an iceberg. And until I start to explore what's underneath that water, that other 90%, I'm at risk of missing, missing connection, missing problems, missing solution, whatever it might be. So that's kind of the first part that I like to focus on. It's just like, think that way. Think that everything is an iceberg.
0: That's awesome. So in the context of sales and persuasion, what might be some of these things that are underneath the surface that we would miss without that kind of deeper inquiry?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, first, I would say, you know, a part of discovering that is just getting really good at being curious, seeking to understand. Um, so, you know, you might have a, a conversation where, um let's say you're doing some sort of relationship type selling solution selling where somebody comes to you with a problem um we'll make one up we'll see if i can do it on the spot but let's let's say somebody has um a challenge with uh managing teams or managing uh projects within their organization they're looking at all these different types of solutions and and there's you know things like asana and other SaaS programs out there and there's also consultants and trainers Well, if somebody shows up and just starts to say, hey, I need to buy a software product because the CEO told me that we're not good at project management, and you go, oh, okay, you know, what's your budget? Um, Boy, we're going to miss the mark because potentially they're not even ready yet for a project management software, right? And again, I'm making this on the fly. So I would, when I go, awesome, well, I'm happy to help you. That's how I'd like. I'm happy to help you, but are you open to spending maybe five or 10 minutes, letting me explore what's going on, uh, ask you some questions. I'm going kind to of, probably even start with a beginner's mindset a little bit. Like I might ask you some things that I think I know the answers, but I'm really looking for firsthand here. What's your company like? Why is this a challenge for the CEO? What's your role? If if you were able to solve this, what would it do for you and your team? What have you done before? Is this the first time you've looked at it? And notice I haven't said budget or how soon you're going to buy. I'm, I'm not walking through this kind of a tactical sales approach, I'm really seeking to understand because what might happen is I learn, um, this person's new to the job. Uh, They just got acquired. Uh, They just had their project manager leave because it was so stressful or the whole team left. Like there's a gazillion things, right? But if I just went right to budget time, have you seen it? What features do you like? I could miss everything. And if I'm in kind of the world of solution selling where I can provide a somewhat custom solution, boy, if I can get clear, then I can move to co-creation. I can be like, hey, what do you think? Are you okay to brainstorm a little bit? And as soon as someone starts to get enrolled in that journey with you of like co-creating, creating creating that solution together and brainstorming, they're, I hate to say it like this, but they're kind of already buying themselves in, but they're also being heard and they're sharing how they want to solve it and they're owning it. And that's the secret. When somebody else can own the change with you, um, you don't need to do training, you don't need to convince, you don't need to persuade. It's a much more natural path to a shared outcome.
0: I love that. And and to regurgitate it in, in my model um, in, in a way that may be helpful to the listener is kind of entering into their world. Mm-hmm. And um, I think for a lot of us who might have uh, a limited model of what selling is, we might have to interrupt our pattern of jumping to the close to do that is what I'm understanding. That's true. Too- Well, when you're coaching people in sales and you notice that predisposition to jump to the close or to gloss over that more, that process of thoroughly entering into the world of the person you're helping, what, what methods or what processes do you think would be helpful for our listener to understand that can help you make those kind of interventions? Yeah,
1: that's a really great question. Um, you know, I, I mean, it reminds me of a quick story. So I'm going to tell you a story and then most likely I'll move to answering that question. Okay. So um, I come in and I'm working with teams or like I might be at a conference or a workshop or I'm coming in to maybe run a meeting once or twice a month with a team that's kind of like part workshop, part sales meeting. So I'm in one of these part workshop, part sales meetings. And I've been with this company for a while. There's maybe about 10 salespeople and two of the salespeople are kind of like way up the top, but they're partners. They've been doing this for 20 some years, professional services. So i said you know what i'd like to get three volunteers and i'm gonna just kind of workshop this in real time and let's listen to how people would do it i said here's a scenario i want you to imagine you're at this trade show in las vegas with our ideal customer and you can have whatever scenario you want but you have the opportunity to talk to somebody what would you do and i intentionally call on this one sales guy and I love him to death. We've done a lot of coaching, but he was stuck in this, you know, how do I get to the close? He's like bottom of the funnel, constantly talking about the transaction. And I called on him very first, it was strategic. And he's like, oh, and he's super excited. He's like, well, I would be at the coffee bar and I would order a cappuccino and I would turn and this guy would be next to me and on his you know, shirt, it would say XYZ company and that would be a fit. And I'd be like, hey, what are you ordering? What do you do? Oh, you know what, we can help you. And this is how we're so good. He goes right into feature benefit, boom, 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 boom. And everything he said was accurate. Like he didn't make a mistake, but in his mind, the sales call started at the close. And I think that's the trap we fall into, especially when we start to work with marketing and things like that. You know, Hey, do I have the sales ready lead? Do I have a buy ready lead? That's what we're really trying to say. And in a lot of businesses, that's just not the truth. We've got a long journey ahead. So juxtapose that, I talked to the senior person who's like been there a long time. I said, hey, how would you, what's your scenario? And this was beautiful, genius. She was like, Jedi mind trick master. <laughs>
0: Carl,
1: it would start in the plane. I would sit down and I would turn and my ideal customer would sit down next to me. They pull out their laptop to start working. I would see on their laptop bag the name of the company. I would realize that's one of our customers. And I would say, hey, where are you, what are you up to? Are you going to this trade show in Vegas? I'm going. Oh, why are you going? What are you hoping to get out of it? How long have you been in your practice? What's it like? Like She starts asking all these like iceberg questions because she, she's like, I've got three hours on this plane. I wanna get to know this person. And then she says, at the end, I would say, hey, if this seems like an opportunity for us to continue to learn, I'd love to meet you while we're at the conference or could I have your card? Maybe we could schedule something. She, had, she, she didn't see the sale as the event. She saw the connection and the ability to understand and solve as the event. So part of the way I train is telling somebody a store like that and then asking them, think of the person, your next couple of appointments that are follow-ups. And I use what you said. I go, can you tell me about their world? And if they can, then they're into solution selling. They're into understanding the iceberg. But if they're like, well, their budget is this, they're going to buy and that. I'm like, no, what's their world like? So a lot of it's just a shift of understanding that sales isn't about the transaction at the end. That's the output. That's not the input. That's not what we do at first. We don't just jump into closing, have to kind of understand, learn iceberg. And then if we do that right, actually, I find that the person that wants to buy will ask me or tell me they're ready to buy. I don't need to persuade or convince. They've, they've opted in. If I've co-created the solution together, they want it.
0: I love this whole co-creating the solution together. A, this shared creativity space is very appealing. And I'm noticing a book behind your right shoulder, sales and marketing alignment yes. and to the listeners obviously doesn't just apply to sales but it applies to marketing absolutely so, yeah it's an an, gen, an audience of an organization or a solopreneur is going to have a lot of common factors about their story we can be curious about whether or not and, and they, here's a here's a question for you um do you find that the wrong kinds of performance objectives can drive that jump to the close mentality if you're not careful.
1: Boy, I am so glad you said that because in, in this book, we've been talking about iceberg selling. Uh, there are four mindsets. The First mindset is lifetime value. The second is being of service. And they they're kind of like brother and sister. They're tied together. And what I mean by lifetime value is are you playing for the transaction, that immediate sale? Or are you playing for all the sales, all the work, all the relationship over time? And even if you know you sell cars, people still go through cars two, three, five, six years. There's still a long, long-term value of a family, right? They might have a kid who's turning 16. They might buy another car. So it's not just heady around, oh, well, my business doesn't have lifetime value. It probably does because a lot of your customers move to another company. And we have that experience where people bring us with them. So the first part is, you know, trying to relax into that I'm playing for lifetime value. I'm not playing for this immediate tra- transaction. And I think for a manager, an owner, and even a salesperson that's like trying to make the end of the month, end of the month, end of the month, that's hard to get around. And I, I would say internally in your company, there's probably some conversation here, but you know, imagine we all, we all kind of know what happens at the end of the month, right? Fire sale. Hey, any chance you can buy today? Cause I'm on,
0: <laughs> right.
1: No, that's jeopardizing the relationship potentially, right? So sure. it's it's more of a, it's not a, it's not binary. It's like, don't do that. But it's like, be mindful that, that how you're showing up and the actions you're taking, if it's jeopardizing the long-term value. Um, and the second, just to kind of put a little cross the T on it, uh, being a service, it's really tied that if you're playing for long-term value, you have the opportunity to show up in different ways over time that you might not do if it was a transaction. The simplest would be someone's not yet ready to buy. You don't just keep calling them and be like, hey, you ready? You ready? Whenever you're ready, I'm ready. Like that's not of service. Service is like, hey, I saw this conference. I went to this conference. Uh, Somebody handed me this book. I'm going to send it to you. Here's a PDF. Here's a blog. Here's a podcast, right? Here's a podcast that influenced me. I'm going to share it with you, customer, because I think it would be value-based on what we talked about. You're looking beyond the sale to truly solve all of that person and be of service to all of the person. So that's that's kind of two things that I think help us get out of this mindset of close, close, close. And I do think a lot of times KPIs are misaligned to the values of a company.
0: So in terms of aligning KPIs to the values of a company, knowing what I know about listeners, at least some are in a position of designing sales systems or they have the opportunity to intervene on design level. What would you suggest to get KPIs aligned with those values that support this kind of deeper relationship with the customer where you're co-creating? Yeah,
1: that's an excellent question, and one my brain's going to have to process in real time. Uh, the first thing I would say is hopefully you have a culture where you make a lot of your decisions, if not all of them align to your core values. And so to me, the, the first thing is, is my marketing, is my messaging, the, the people that are the physical representation of my brand. Are they all living these core values? And if so, do we have the discipline that when we are attracting people that want to work with us, that um, we have the discipline to kind of put them in two buckets? Yes, they're aligned. No, they're not. And if they're not give them like a a no, a no. But hey, we might not be the right fit, but there's this other company over here or here's this other solution. I think that's super powerful. And while that's not a KPI, so to speak, I think it needs to start there. We need to kind of get clear that this is important to who we are. We have a mission, we have core values and everything should be driving toward that. So let's now figure out how to build KPIs to those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll give you a real world example that just happened to me yesterday. I was running a workshop for our company in kind of like construction manufacturing space. And uh, each salesperson has about 10 really big accounts. The account buys from them year over year. They're like uh, Ace Hardware, True Value Hardware, things like that. And uh, we spent the whole day trying to understand the customer's experience. What's, what is their world? It was a, what was your world exercise? And what we're doing is we're gonna create kind of like a placemat. You can think of it like a persona, but it's a placemat of like, who is this person? What's going on in their life? What can I learn through research? What do I know from prior notes? And you know, in this season, because there's three selling seasons, uh, different selling seasons with different characteristics, what's their pain? What do they need? What's their magic wand? And the idea now is each salesperson has to commit to their top 20 accounts or whatever to fill this out before each sales um, season, meet with their supervisor, their director, and get into conversation. So the KPI there is, did you do it and have you been in in the meeting with your team to talk through this? Because we think it's going to be so important to show up and really understand that person. So that's maybe not a performance KPI, but a reminder KPI. Um, i think the other ones is you know if you're showing up and you're doing nps scores or something like that where it's 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 how satisfied are your customers and again they're aligned to your values and your mission and in your product is then hopefully that's a pretty good guide from satisfaction from sales you know maybe it's a qualification you know i went through a qualification status and what's my ratio of you know leads to qualify leads to good fits and that might be something you give back to market marketing back to sales and marketing alignment like we're asking marketing to make sure 80% of them are a cultural core value fit and the salesperson's grading that. It can be little things like that, but really I'm after direction KPIs. I, I like directional KPIs versus like hard-nosed binary.
0: That makes sense. And I guess the challenge is uh, so much of the good things that happen with uh, relationship-based based selling process are emergent. And to caring about the customer and and caring about helping people and helping them unfold their worlds to greater value through what you can offer. But if you remove all measures, then, you know, people need some structure to work within and, and some feedback that they're doing the right things, too. So it, it can be a challenge. You mentioned the three selling seasons. What do you mean by that, by the way?
1: Well, in their particular industry, there's like three cycles throughout the year. So it's not a uniform selling cycle season. I got but- you. A lot of you in seasonal businesses, you might have that. Like in the wintertime, when it's cold out, if you're selling into that space, you probably sell less construction material. But in the summertime, more, but they're buying it in the spring, trying to make sure they have enough material. So for them, not only did they have to have the mindfulness of the people they sell to and what's their world like, but they had to realize that that person's world changes throughout the year in their own selling cycles. And a lot of the people listen, you probably have some sort of seasonal... Or there's something macroeconomic that adjusts or fit, you know, maybe it's interest rates, right? But there's things that start to affect the day-to-day of your business and understanding those effects as well as the people is about getting their world. And once you know that or you see more of the iceberg, I believe you can be a lot more of service, co-create, the next steps become really um, natural and predictable mm-hmm. once we're showing up that way and we start to change how we sell and connect with people.
0: That's excellent. And how much of this pivots on the channel? You no, know, and, yeah. and today, you know, I'm of an age where we did direct phone selling. Right. When That's I was okay. young. And, and now we have all these social media channels where you might be talking to prospective customers over Twitter or LinkedIn or X, as we call it, used to be named Twitter. <laughs> uh how how much of it pivots versus the channel, or does it? Do you address that in your work? I do. Um,
1: I do when, when we when I'm coaching or I'm in consulting. In the book, I don't because I think what we're really trying to do is just every time there's a node of a of a human interaction, whether it's digital or in person, how you show up, right? And we've all seen this in like social when you see feeds and you see comments, and some of them are really nasty, some of them are short, and others are really kind of constructive and opening the door to conversation. Sure. So for me, I think like I, I was meeting with a client uh, for coffee about a week ago and she laid down this placemat and was like in the middle of the circle product. And then all these arrows going out, we kind of hub and spoke with other circles. And these were her channels. And one of them was reps. They sell into the pet pet industry. And I said, um, what are you doing to win the hearts and mind of these reps? And what are these reps doing to win the hearts and minds of the people behind the counter? They're like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you have a product that helps dogs have better lives It's a supplement. Um, All of these people in the pet industry probably have animals. You empowered your sales staff, this this group of uh, reps, to be able to actually give samples to the people behind the counter to help solve their dog's issues, to show up that you do care and you want to change and impact their dog's lives. And like, oh, oh my God, no. And I was like, that's that's what we need. We need your sales force to live your mission and values of helping animals. And then she goes, what about this e-commerce side? And I said, well, it kind of can be the same thing. Like, how do we, how do we re-message, refocus that are, it's not just feature benefit, feature benefit, but there's something caring, there's something, you know, showing up. So we came up with the idea of potentially, um, almost like, if you think about, if you, for those of you that remember the Brady board, Brady bunch matrix, where like all their faces are there, it was like, well, what if we did videos like that of people that had different ailments with their dogs and how this showed up and then, you know, we could, distribute that as well. So we're telling the story of the outcome and the experience versus the science behind this particular product. So I think it can fit in all the different channels. It's just, we have to get more creative of what is that thing that, what is the iceberg of that person online? You know, what, what most likely is it? What can we do the research of? And then start addressing that, not just the surface part, right? We've got to get clear of how to connect with people in all these channels to do the best
0: we can. That's almost channel agnostic. And, you know, exactly. one thing I remembered, it, it really lit me up uh, when I was a salesperson in the fitness industry, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, was that the people who were successful at phone selling had a mental image of the person they were talking to, even if they'd never met them before. And I was freaked out more than once by how they looked exactly like I had envisioned them. Yeah, you know, uh, but it's almost uh, to see the human on the other side is 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 relevant no matter what the channel is, isn't it? It is. And I would take
1: it one step further. I mean, I know this podcast about impact and influence. And I was I just told you about this construction group I was running a workshop on kind of burly guys. If you looked in the parking lot, they are all big trucks. So that kind of gives you a little if you can see that person now. Right. Sure. So we're done with the session. And I said, does anybody want to share what they might be taking from this? And the least likely of the group stands up and says, Carl, everything you talked about with your book Iceberg Stanley, I feel like I could apply to my life, my relationships with my family, my wife, my friends, how I manage. The more I understand and the more I can co-create, I think the more I can have better relationships. I was like, wow, like mic drop. Like that was amazing. That's that's what we're talking about. So To me, yes, we're in the kind of construct of sales. And then we talked about channels and then you were like, this is just human. And I would, I would totally invite everyone to say, yeah, how does your world start to change if when you manage or communicated with friends, family, you got a little bit more curious, just a little bit more curious, you know, how was school? It was okay. Oh, what does okay look like?
0: Yeah. And, yeah. and, and
1: and then go from there instead of going oh you always say this is it you know you have a teenage kid like i do uh, you know <laughs> school was fine you know oh okay yeah well, what was fine look like what made it fine i really am curious about your day i don't get a i don't get to walk the halls with you what's it like you know it just starts to open doors and we understand more and i think that's the big lever this whole concept is pulling understanding and from understanding possibility happens
0: and, and doesn't it make it more intrinsically rewarding to make what you do about helping people and then this, the Absolutely. sales will come. But when you make it about helping people, it just opens up a whole new world of intrinsic benefits and rewards. Absolutely. I mean, you, we, we kind
1: of talked earlier, we didn't use this analogy, but it's kind of like if you approach everything holding that bat really tight and like all amped up, you were talking about the coaching and the shooting sports and mm-hmm. relaxing into it. It's the same kind of thing. Like if I can relax into how I sell, and my quotas, and not look for dollars, but look for relationships. I'm playing for impact, and impact by its very nature will create that solution, and we, hey, get we get paid for solutions, so there's our sales. Sales is an outcome of our activities. Then, then you know, it's, it's hard, right? It's hard. We all have obligations, and we have to make payroll, but salespeople have the ability to do this. Um, so yeah, I think it's certainly more impactful than where you can connect, and understand and be a service it just feels good i feel more connected and grounded as a human being
0: and it can all be aligned, can't it i mean isn't the monetary exchange absolutely. part of somebody giving an energy exchange in exchange for a benefit by which they will appreciate the rewards of that benefit more through having made that sacrifice
1: absolutely
0: 100 so you're an author 100%. and and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm looking at your work it's impressive and thank you I, I think there's probably a lot of listeners who are in a role of coach or consultant, author, or want to be an author. What's the story of, of your books? How did you get yourself to start writing? And what did you learn from that process that might be helpful to somebody who wants to write some best selling books? Well,
1: thank you for asking that. Because it was, there's a lot of things in my life where I feel like I've become the accidental, whatever it might be, fill in the blank. Um, and I, I always kind of thought I'd have a book. I've always been creative. I've, I've had a lot of different companies as an entrepreneur and I live in the world of creation mainly. I, I, think, I think I'm think i more of an idea creator than anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but uh, COVID had happened and I was doing all my work on Zoom and luckily I already had been. So it didn't really change my way I operated. But um, what I started to find was my first book came from this concept of what I call the revenue equation. Like how do you make sure you have all the foundations in place to actually start to build and scale your company? Cause I've been kept getting brought in to build and scale and we would start. And then I was like, wait, you don't have the foundations to do this. Like you've put the cart before the horse. Like we got to build this cart first. And so I had this awakening. I was like, you know what? The more I could do that, the more people I could impact. So I started writing with a writing partner. And as I'm working with them, uh, I'm like, this is the process. This is what we're going to do the revenue equation. And they looked at me and they said, Carl, you're all about change and bringing out the best in people. That's what this book set up to wins about. And yes, it has frameworks, but this isn't a workbook. This is like a book of stories and inspiration on how to do this. And when that happened, that focused me to a point where I said, whoa, this is who I am about. Like, so the first thing I would tell you about the book is people will go, who did you write set up to win for my first book? And I was like myself. I wrote it for myself because what I found in that journey is I got really clear on who I was, my values, what I stood for, how I wanted to affect the world, how I wanted to be in the world. And yes, it's for the small business owner or people building, scaling teams, but ultimately it was a journey of clarity for myself. So my first thing would say, who are you writing the book for? And you might actually consider that it's for yourself. Um, And that doesn't have to be a long book, you know, just like, what do you believe in? What's your ethos? How do you affect the world? And I think when you write that, whether you have a partner, you write it by yourself or you dictate it. Uh, I've done that too. A lot of the way I've written these books is I am dictating and I'm working with my partner to clean it up so I can get it out of my head fast. Uh, But I just think the most important thing is if you can say this is for me, I'm going to fill me up, then do it. And then it doesn't matter if one person reads it or a hundred or a gazillion, the point is it's yours and you have this thing It's like, hey, this is what I believe in. This is how I want to be in the world.
0: That's awesome. So so it's for yourself in a sense. And do you find this, as an author and coach and speaker that there's a feedback loop when you have to organize your thinking in a form that somebody could assimilate through a book, it positively impacts your work with people and also the work with people helps you organize the concepts that make their way into the book. So they feed off each other
1: a hundred and ten percent All of my books have real world stories, just like some of the ones I told and the stories live and change. And so, you know, um, when I'm out speaking or workshopping and I, I get to test a concept to this audience, see how they respond. And then I kind of scroll that away. You know, is that going to be in this other book? Is that a better story? Is that a better way of doing it? Um, But yeah, I mean, I think the richness of writing a book is can you put yourself in enough experiences where the ideas that you want to share are kind of tested in real time so that you understand the language or the tonality or the effect? Or, you know, if it's really um, analytic, do people understand the process and the structure? If you have a really analytic book, hard skill book or soft skill book, do people get it? Um, And it's a fun journey for sure that feedback is a wonderful thing.
0: And has being an author and having that, what we call my terminology, a thought leadership manifesto encapsulated in a book, what kind of impact did that have on your career? Tremendous,
1: um, tremendous. I mean, I, I think the first off when you, to kind of piggyback what we just said, when you're clear with whatever you sell or however you show up, whether you're dating or, you know, meeting in-laws or it's Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, or you're out selling the clearer you are and who you are, the easier people can connect with you. They know what you're about and you know what you're about. So you tend to have like, I think just more effective communication because you're not kind of in this place of like, who am I? Um, but I, I, I think what has been fascinating is I'll tell you a story set up to when was my first book and uh, I get an email through LinkedIn actually. Uh, connection request. And I I take every connection request. I answer anybody that reaches out to me. It's this guy from semester at sea. Uh, the, the, the ship that college kids go on to learn all around the world, how to become kind of a global citizen. He goes, Carl, I'd love to connect and talk to you. You said in the book, you're open to talking. And I was like, yeah, sure. We get on a call. And he's like, Carl, I love this book. I want my team to read it. I want you to come talk to my team. It was so effective. And I'm thinking, scratching my head, what? You <laughs> You just read this book? And you want to talk to me and you want to buy some more copies. And now you want me to come and workshop this. So we became friends and um, I'm telling him I'm working on this next book, Iceberg Sailing. I go, would you like to read it before it's published? He's like, yeah, absolutely. I sent it to him. He gives me all this great feedback. He's like, can you come in and come in and talk to my team about this? I love this concept all because of that first book and then all the long tail from it. And so A lot of possibility just happens, but I do think if you're considering a book or an ebook or anything, it does raise your credibility for sure Um, because people can learn about who you are. You're clear on who you are and you've put it out in the world. So um, when people read it and see what you're about, they can connect with you more. I like him. I like his theory. And that's what happened with Jason from Semester at Sea, who's just become a great friend and a great client.
0: That's awesome. That's a great story. Thank so you. to wind things up for our listener and to let them know how to reach you, I've got kind of a two-stage process here, and you got plenty of time to unfold. What would be the top three suggestions that you would have for something the listener who's listened to this podcast thinking, "Yeah, I love what Carl has to say. I'm getting inspired." Um, to you know inquire into the 90% of the iceberg that's underwater or to become a writer or to further myself as a consultant through what I'm learning um, or to get better at sales through putting relationships first, what would be the top three things you would suggest that they could do immediately to start taking steps to that first and second, and I'm going to put links in the um, episode page, of course, for the listener too, but what's the best way for a listener to reach you? Okay, super. Thank you. Yeah. I mean,
1: I think the first thing I take away is just that realization that things are an iceberg, but I would actually use that as a clue. So the next time you're in a relationship or a a conversation, it could be, I really mean this. It could be your kids. It could be your spouse. Your spouse could open up the dishwasher and be like, you load it wrong. And you're like, okay, it's probably not that I'm loading the dishwasher wrong. So if I would say two part, think of everything as an iceberg and slow yourself down and your brain, at least mine, Sometimes goes, I totally loaded the dishwasher, right? Like I want to come back. But if I can just breathe for a minute, be present with who I am and realize, not take it personally, realize there's probably something else going on here and give myself a minute to get curious and say, hey, in this case, it's a little silly. I'm sorry I I unloaded it wrong. But I tell you what, are you willing to grab a quick seat with me? And can we talk? Because is there something else going on that you're frustrated with or upset with that? Maybe I can help you with or maybe it's me and that's being vulnerable as well. So the first part is going to be this iceberg and slowing yourself down and and putting yourself in a place to get curious, whether you're selling or it's a relationship or you're managing somebody. So that possibility, understanding a possibility to come forward. The second, we didn't talk about it terribly, but if you want to really get good at iceberg selling, you have to realize you're an iceberg too. And I kind of just hinted at that. The more kind of vulnerable you can be, the more you can share than typically the other person does. So I would just say, you know, if you're about to have a a tough conversation or you feel like you're going to go into a sales call and you want to get really curious, you might want to start with yourself first. Like, hey, I'm really looking forward to meeting you. Um, how was your weekend? I spent the weekend with my kids. We went fly fishing when my son brought his girlfriend and he's about to turn 18. It was really it was kind of a crazy experience having an 18 year old son. You know, it felt like just yesterday he was a kid. Oh, yeah, I have a kid. I like to fly fish. And all of a sudden, you know, because I shared your sharing. So just know that if, if you're feeling like, hey, how do I do this? Start sharing from you. That'd be the second And I think the third, I would just say is, um, like you said, relax into it. Like don't, don't grab that bat too high, too hard, you know, like take a minute. It's going to take a while to change, but like any change, try to celebrate the small steps, create a little bit of consistency. I mean, one of the great books out there is atomic habits, right? Like how to kind of start, get clear with yourself on how to start to change your behavior. If this is something you want to do. So those would probably be at least three things I would share.
0: That's awesome. And what's the best way for people to find your book or reach out to you? Great. So the easy
1: one is if you remember iceberg selling, remember an iceberg. My URL for the book is icebergselling.com. So you can order the book. You can get in touch with me. There's a contact form. I invite you to reach out if you want to talk. Uh, My consultancy uh, and the team that I work with is called improving sales performance, improving salesperformance.com. I know it's mouthful, so it might be easier (laughs) for you to remember icebergselling.com. And, uh, you know, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn as well. Just put in Carl here, Carl with K and iceberg selling or set up to win or improving sales forms. I'm pretty easy to find and send me a request and I'll accept it. And if you want to get in a conversation, great.
0: Fantastic. And to the listener, I'm going to link to all of this on the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. So if you're listening on an app, it's linked to in the episode description. Carl, this has been great. Chris,
1: thank you for asking me. Great. Questions that made me think too. I, I love this time together.
0: Yeah, same. And you're you're a very motivating guest. I'm inspired, so I appreciate you. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Thought Leadership Studio. Thanks again for listening to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, and this has been episode 58, Beneath the Tip of the Sales Iceberg with Carl Becker. I hope you found it as inspiring as I have with the insights of how to look beneath the surface. Looking at sales from a relationship basis rather than a transaction basis. Forging Better Connections and Solutions, Mastering Relationship Selling, Co-Creation, and all these great topics that Carl brought up. So if you are listening on an app, make sure you go to the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com where we have links to Carl's resources, his books, his website, etc. as well as a link to get the free Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership, a free guide to Organizing the building blocks of your own strategic thought leadership. I'm Chris McNeil, strategic thought leadership coach and consultant. Thanks again for listening. This is Thought Leadership Studio, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.
1: Thought Leadership Studio.